Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Recorded live. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Jen, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how about a slice? When a friend tells you they've been diagnosed with a mental illness, it can be a little awkward. But what's even more awkward is, if you're not there for her, she'll be less likely to recover. Jen, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Girl, I'm here for you. Mental illness, what a difference a friend makes. To learn more, go to whatadifference.org. This message is brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend, who wasn't in junior high, wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit cybertipline.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. Where do baby smiles come from? No, it's not gas. They're imitating the monkeys. So says evolution. That's next on today's Creation Moment. And now our Creation Moments host, Ian Taylor. Did you know it's practically impossible to laugh without smiling at the same time? Well, you try it sometime. Oh, you can make laughing sounds without smiling, but you can't laugh for real. Well, if you're anything like me, you just might laugh out loud when you hear what evolutionists are now telling us about why babies smile and laugh. According to evolutionists at Kyoto University, babies smile not because they are amused or because they are trying to communicate with their parents. Babies smile for the same reason that monkeys smile, to facilitate the development of cheek muscles, enabling humans, chimpanzees, and Japanese monkeys to produce smiles, laughs, and grimaces. And they add, spontaneous smiles don't express feelings of pleasure in chimpanzees and Japanese monkeys. Rather, the smiles are more similar to submissive signals and grimaces rather than smiles. According to study author Masaki Tomonaga, we can infer that the origin of smiles goes back at least 30 million years, when old world monkeys and our direct ancestors diverged. Really now, do evolutionists honestly expect us to believe this? There's nothing funny about evolutionary nonsense like this. The reason we smile, even when we're babies, is because God created human beings as emotional creatures capable of expressing an incredibly wide range of feelings. When's the last time you thanked God for such a wonderful gift? Creation Moments exists to glorify God by presenting evidence for the literal truth of the Bible.
more information, visit our website at creationmoments.com and join us again for another Creation Moment, proclaiming evidence of God's truth. Hi, this is Donnie McClickin, and I've got a personal note that I'd really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. Blessings are not always financial, but the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, The blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent and noticeable, us being seen as someone who profits in God. The richness of God deals with a soul that is healed, a spirit that is in touch with Jesus. Our lives being rich is having our family whole, it's having our friends close, and even our enemies reconciled. Blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
on Jam Radio 2.1. And good morning to all of you. This 
is one inspiration on Jam Radio 2.1 on this TGIF Friday. Good morning to you. It's time now for our morning prayer. I want to make a want to pray for someone who is going through um, ICU now with an ICU or blood clot. Lord, we thank you for this blessing, for these blessings that you bestow upon us. Thank you, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for anything we've done or thought of or did. Have mercy, Lord. Lord, we lift up the charity. Who's an ICU Lord blood clot? And we lift them up to you. So let them know, Lord, that you are a healer. They be healed in the name of Jesus. That everything that has happened to them be reversed. Thank you. 
Terry Petty is up next. The subject title Islam and the West. of the cover of Newsweek screams why they hate us over the picture of an Arab child with a toy gun. Many people are struggling with the realization that there is great animosity among many Muslims towards Western nations and the United States in particular. News anchors report on Islamic fundamentalism and militant forces that see themselves in a holy war against Britain and the U.S. These are the headlines. In a moment, we're going to look at the important news behind the headlines. Good News Program, presented by the publishers of The Good News Magazine. The Good News doesn't try to cover up today's problems. This is a program that dares to look at today's dilemmas and ask the questions that must be asked. It seeks the answers that must be found, answers that can only be discovered from the pages of your Bible. Please join Gary Petty for a discussion of today's Good News subject. In A.D. 610, during the Islamic month of Ramadan, a 50-year-old merchant named Muhammad was finding solace from the outside world in a cave not far from Mecca, what is now Saudi Arabia. This reputedly quiet, affectionate, and kind man had been a caravan master. Now married to a rich widow, his former employer, he had plenty of time for such solitude and reflection. By accounts, he was worried about a moral crisis of reckless materialism hindering the Arabic society. Along with committing blatant idolatry, the poor and disadvantaged were in a serious state of neglect. Muhammad claimed that one night he awoke to a spiritual experience that he later understood was from an angel sent by the one God, or Allah. Muhammad claimed that Allah revealed to him a sacred text known as the Quran. Today, more than a billion people believe in this book as the word of God and in Muhammad as the unique prophet. After further experiences or visions of this type, Muhammad began preaching and gaining converts in 612. Apparently, he did not think of founding a new religion, but merely of bringing to the revelation of Allah to the Arab world. He preached against the multitude of gods and idols of the time. Muhammad became aware that the Arabs sprang from Ishmael, one of the sons of the biblical patriarch Abraham. We are told that he highly regarded the Old Testament prophets and Jesus of Nazareth, though he claimed that Jews and Christians had corrupted their sacred texts as passed down. Indeed, he saw himself as restoring the Abrahamic religion. The religion Muhammad proclaimed eventually became named Islam, in essence meaning surrender to the will of God. Its adherents became known as Muslims, that is, those practicing the surrender. At first, Muhammad made few converts. After four years of preaching, he had only 70 followers. But he was undaunted, and soon many more were attracted to the new faith. Yet this religion brought drastic social repercussions with it. Because Muhammad's teachings threatened the religion and the commerce of the people of Mecca, they persecuted him and his growing band of believers, at last forcing him in 620 to flee to the Arabian city, later called Medina. Now up to this point, Muhammad had proclaimed a peaceful religion concerned with social justice and providing for the poor, and patience in the face of persecution. Yet, after his flight to Medina, things began to change. Gaining power, he announced that God had ordered Muslims to fight unbelievers. Shortly after his death in 632, the sword of Islam began conquering vast tracts of the known civilized world. This was, as the Muslims understood it, jihad, holy war. Historically, jihad is not itself meant to convert individuals to Islam. Rather, 
His supporters understand it to gain political control of society and administer it through the principles of Islam. Conversions of individuals were to be a byproduct of Muslim authority taking over and imposing righteous laws. Soon Islamic armies rampaged against the decadent Persian and Byzantine forces controlling the Middle East, quickly defeating them. Arab warriors conquered Jerusalem in 638. By the early 1700s, Islam had spread across North Africa. It then pushed east as far as India and north as far as Spain. From there, the Arab raiders attempted to conquer the rest of Europe, but were stopped in 732 at the Battle of Tours in France. Unable to spread further into Europe, Islam continued south and east, carrying its holy war into other parts of Africa, the Middle East, India, and Asia. Now, it's important to realize that Jews and Christians whose religious traditions Mohammed himself saw as succeeding were accorded special favor in the conquest. He allowed them to keep their religion as long as they paid a tax. In this respect, the Islamic Empire was more tolerant of Jews and Christians than many times Christian Europe was of Jews and Muslims during its history. Muslims gave those who were not Jews or Christians the simple choice, convert to Islam or death. Now, while Europe languished in the poverty and ignorance of the Middle Ages, the Arabs were developing libraries and learning centers. They preserved the great works of ancient Greece and Rome, transmitting to us the decimal system, logarithms, algebra, and trigonometry. Under their patronage, medical treatment, botany, geography, theology, and other studies advanced. Over the centuries, Islam spread across the Arab world, ultimately becoming one of the world's great religions. Though often violent, expansion has been peaceful at times, as Muslim populations simply expand and overflow into other areas. In its rather tumultuous history, genuine missionary activity has ebbed and flowed, experiencing a sharp increase in the 20th century. As mentioned earlier, Islam has more than one billion adherents. They live in every country. Indeed, although most Arabs are Muslim, no longer are most Muslims Arab. About one-third of Africa is Muslim. Even America has seen peaceful Islamic growth. Time magazine reported that Islam may be America's fastest-growing religion. The Time article goes on to say, quote, the country's 7 million Muslims are overwhelmingly middle and professional class. After the terrorist attacks of September 11th, many Muslims have pleaded with Americans to recognize Islam as a peaceful religion. Indeed, President George Bush stood in a mosque before American Muslim leaders and proclaimed, Islam is peace. Henry Kissinger, former Secretary of State, added, the battle is against a radical minority that disagrees with the humane aspects of Islam. However, such statements may seem jarring when we look closely at the terrorist acts of the past few decades, the crowds of cheering Palestinians when the World Trade Center was destroyed, and the blood-stained history of this religion, which spread by conquest. After the U.S. Embassy bombings in 1998, Osama bin Laden contended in a January 1999 interview that Muslims were merely responding to a legitimate duty to protect their religion against perceived attacks from Jews and Crusaders. He continued, Our Holy Land is occupied by Israeli and American forces. We have the right to defend ourselves and to liberate our Holy Land. Hostility towards America is a religious duty, and we hope to be rewarded for it by God. Praise be to God for guiding us to do jihad in this case. This may not be the view of the majority of Muslims living in the United States and other Western nations, but in the poorer areas of the world, much of which is Muslim, many harbor resentment over the affluence of Western life they see portrayed in movies as opposed to their own often destitute conditions, thus fueling the fire against America. U.S. support for what they see as corrupt leaders in their countries only furthers that resentment. In fact, anti 
anti-American rhetoric in the Middle East is incessant. What is the future of Western civilization and Islam? You may be surprised to find that the Bible actually contains prophecies about a future conflict. We'll be back to discuss this conflict right after these messages. Where is the world headed? Today's headlines are filled with troubling news. War, famine, natural disasters, new and baffling diseases, environmental catastrophes, and governmental scandals. The litany of suffering, tragedies, and bad news is relentless. Where is the world headed? Does Bible prophecy give us any answers? And you can understand Bible prophecy, you'll discover what the Bible says about where the world is headed. Learn the major themes of Bible prophecy and God's overall plan for humanity. Find out why the world is in the condition it's in and what it means for you. For your free copies, call right now, 1-800-966-9232. In our free booklet, You Can Understand Bible Prophecy, you can discover the truth of this surprising message Jesus Christ brought. There is no cost or obligation. 1-800-966-9232. Have you had about all the bad news you can take? Maybe you could use some good news. The Good News is a full-color, bi-monthly magazine that brings you the best news you can hear, and always from a biblical perspective. All literature on this program is provided free as an educational service in the public interest by the United Church of God. It is absolutely free, and there is no charge or obligation. Simply call 1-800-966-9232. The magazine is free. The contents are priceless. The number again is 1-800-966-9232. Or visit us on the web at www.ucg.org. Islam and Western civilization, the conflict is centuries old. It's easy to see the evils of the terrorists who kill innocent people in the name of Allah and forget the history of this conflict. The Christian crusaders of the Middle Ages perpetrated some of the most savage acts of barbarism in history on Jews and Muslims. And remember, it wasn't that long ago that Christians in Bosnia committed mass rapes against Muslim women. Can the Bible help us sort out this mess? What do Bible prophecies say about future Western Arab conflicts? We'll be discussing this topic today with Gareth McNeely, Managing Editor of World News and Prophecy. Always glad to have you on Good News Radio, Gareth. But the events of the past few months have caused many people to renew their interest in biblical prophecy. Well, Gary, every time a crisis erupts in the Middle East, we see a sharp rise in interest about Bible prophecy. This was true 10 years ago during the Gulf War. Now we see many wondering how this current war on terrorism fits into prophecy. Well, let's begin with the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, What does the Bible tell us about the origins of this conflict? Today's Mideast conflict involving Arabs and Jews is actually a relatively recent phenomenon. Other civilizations have waged war back and forth in this region for centuries. The conflict today between Arabs and Israelis stems from the fact that both peoples descend from one man, as you've already mentioned, the biblical patriarch Abraham. Abraham's sons, Ishmael and Isaac, figure in one of the little understood stories from the book of Genesis. Ishmael was the son of Abraham by Hagar, the maidservant of his wife Sarah. Ishmael is the father of today's Arab peoples. Isaac, the son of Abraham through Sarah, is the father of the Israelite nations who received the birthright promises given to Abraham. Now, God said he would establish his covenant with Isaac 
because Abraham had to put Ishmael and his mother out of the home, there arose an age-old enmity between the two sides of the family. We have an interesting prophecy in Genesis 16 about Ishmael. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Actually, this phrase, wild man, Gary, refers to the noble and free existence his descendants would lead in the Middle Eastern lands. The Arabs' unconquerable love of liberty and independence is well known, and their hand has been frequently against those peoples who would deprive them of their freedoms. Arab culture has successfully withstood all assaults, uh, though at times they've been under foreign domination. Both the Jew and the Arabs have preserved their ancient cultures, which is quite a fact considering all the changes of the modern world. I think many Bible students uh, find current events interesting, uh, and there's a real renewed interest in the prophecies of Daniel 11, especially verses uh, 40 through 45. Now, before we go there and read those verses, can you give us a little background to the verses that lead up to verses 40 through 45? Yes, I can. Daniel 11 is a detailed prophecy which begins in the time following the death of Alexander the Great and ends in the days just before the end of the age and the return of Jesus Christ. It traces the formation of two kings and their realms, known as the king of the north and the king of the south. Keeping Jerusalem and Palestine as the, the focal point of prophetic geography, we understand that the king of the north is that geopolitical region which came to be occupied by Rome and the systems which succeeded it. The king of the south represents those areas which historically are occupied by, by today's Arab Islamic nations, including the land of Palestine. The verses leading to verse 40 detail the conflict in the time prior to the birth of Christ. We see through those verses a struggle between the forces of evil which contend against the work God does through his people. This king of the north particularly is describing a powerful, strong-willed ruler who exercises destructive power. Daniel 11, verse 36 says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. Okay, so what we have here in, in, in Daniel 40 is, is a very long prophecy of which much has been fulfilled in, in the past. So now let's look at verses 40 through 45 because they obviously pertain to the future. It says, At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious lands, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. And he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. Now this passage obviously has to do with the end time. So when is the king of the north and the king of the south in this particular passage? Well, Gary, this time, which begins in verse 40 here, this long prophecy, is clearly ahead of us. There's coming a, a power greater than any existing power on today's scene. Now, that may be hard to believe, but the book of Revelation refers to a coming sphere of power, which is called the beast. It will be a mighty union of ten kings, meaning nations or group of, groups of nations, and it's destined to become a potent new superpower in world affairs. Its rise will marvel or astound everyone. Okay, so we have a king of the north, which is, is a rise of Europe. And then we have this king of the south. So what exactly, then, are being described in these verses? All right, these verses are describing a military crisis in the Middle East unlike any in recorded history. 
We have yet, Gary, to see the mother of all battles in this region. This European power will be the final end-time revival of the ancient Roman Empire. It will work with a great miracle-working religious figure the Bible calls the false prophet and a man of sin. This charismatic figure is going to preside over a great centuries-old religious system, which the Bible labels as mystery, Babylon the Great, and this is mentioned in Revelation chapter 17. Now, this system, which is the king of the north, will move southward into the Middle East, as the scripture says, like a whirlwind with destructive consequences for the Jew and Arab alike. Many Arab states will be occupied by this power. Jerusalem will also be occupied, thus fulfilling the prophecies of armies encompassing the city, as Luke chapter 21, verse 20 says. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Now, the Bible is silent as to exactly why this army will move with such determination into the region. We can only speculate that perhaps economics centering on oil supplies or the danger of a politically destabilized state might be the trigger for such intervention. Religion also could play an yet uh, unseen role in this scenario. Remember that Jerusalem is a center of three major world faiths and religion, particularly false religion, is at the heart of the end-time events. So the glorious land here, that, that's Jerusalem and the, the modern state of Israel. Yes, okay. Now, in verse 44, we have the king of the north, uh, Europe, the king of the south, which, of course, is, is the, the Arab Confederacy we're talking about. Uh, and then verse 44, it says, But news from the east and from the north shall trouble him, talking about the king of the north, therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Now, what's this describing? This is a very interesting turn of events that uh, Daniel points to that is mentioned in other places where we have a little bit more information. To the east and to the north of Palestine is the great landmass known as Eurasia. From this region will come what the book of Revelation describes as a 200 million person army. That's described in Revelation chapter 9. Powerful pent-up forces, it describes, beyond the river Euphrates will be unleashed into this Mideast conflict. The beast power will be challenged by this military force, and a larger conflict will be provoked. The stage is going to be set for a desperate battle to determine who will rule the world. Revelation 16, beginning in verse 12, describes this scene. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its river was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons, performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Now, Britt Gary, here's where we need to understand what's really happening behind the scenes in world affairs. Satan is gathering the armies of the nations to fight Jesus Christ. This is the culmination of the age-old struggle between good and evil. Prophecy of Zechariah chapter 14, where God says, I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. We must always stay focused on the outcome when it comes to prophecy. These times of trouble will end in Christ's triumph as king of kings. You know, Darius, we always appreciate, of course, your insight here on Good News Radio. Now, you are the editor of World News and Prophecy, a magazine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that magazine? World News and Prophecy is a monthly publication that is devoted to reporting and analyzing the events of today's world, much of the news, in the light of Bible prophecy. It is 
news analysis from a biblical perspective. So I think that uh, our audience would greatly benefit from uh, reading this publication, and they are free to re request that. There's no cost, there's no charge. All they have to do is call the toll-free number here on the program. Well, Jared, we really do appreciate you being with us here today. Jared, it's always a pleasure. By the way, that toll-free number is 1-800-966-9232. And we'll be back right after this. Where is the world headed? Does Bible prophecy give us any answers? In You Can Understand Bible Prophecy, you'll discover what the Bible says about where the world is headed. Learn the major themes of Bible prophecy and God's overall plan for humanity. For your free copy, call right now, 1-800-966-9232. In our free booklet, You Can Understand Bible Prophecy, you can discover the truth of this surprising message, one 800 9669232. It's important to understand that many factions of Islam exist, but the two largest are the Sunnis, the overwhelming majority, and the Shiites, the radical minority. The civilized world's present troubles come mainly from the radical and militant Muslim groups, mostly from the Shiites. But some of the perpetrators of this epitome of violence that happened in New York are emerging from the Sunni branch. For instance, Iran, under Shiite control since the takeover by Ayatollah Khomeini at the end of the 70s, has been a major sponsor of terrorism. But five years ago, Afghanistan fell under control of the Taliban regime, which represents a radical Sunni faction. Taliban interpretations of Islamic law are so strict that even fundamentalist Iran considers it extremist. When the Taliban took over, it imposed restrictions that included a ban, among other things, kite flying, stuffed animals, paper bags, marbles, and recorded music. Taliban authorities arrested soccer players for wearing shorts. The Taliban tightened already oppressive restrictions on women to include the banning of white socks. Every inch of a woman's body, including her face, must be covered. She must make no noise with her feet while walking. If she teaches young girls to read and write, she can even be put to death. With such a radical faction in control, Afghanistan became a natural haven in which fugitive terrorists, Osama bin Laden himself, a fundamentalist Sunni, could take refuge. Conflict between Israel and its Arab neighbors is a related controversy that spills over into the rest of the world. After Arabs conquered Jerusalem in A.D. 638, Muslims controlled the Holy Land until 1917. The only time they didn't was during the 11th and 13th centuries when the Crusaders managed to sporadically control the Holy Land but were ultimately defeated and expelled. It wasn't until the British defeated the Muslim Ottoman Turks in 1917 that the Holy Land, then called Palestine, became a British protectorate for 30 years. In 1948, the creation of the Jewish state Israel led to the first Arab war against Israel. So far, Arabs have fought four wars, 1948, 1956, 1967, and 1973 against their Israeli neighbor, and they've lost every one. In 1967, the Israelis took control of Jerusalem, but left the that the West, in particular the United States, had been Israel's main protector. Instead of creating the great Islamic world their forebears dreamed about, the Islamic world in recent years has lost economic, cultural, and military ground to the more powerful and prosperous Western society. The Islamic world has also seen global communications penetrate as closed societies and expose its people to a flashy, materialistic lifestyle, one that appeals to many of their youth. Similarly, as women in Islamic countries have been better educated, fewer want to submit to strict Muslim laws. The situation has fermented a great struggle between Western and Islamic values. Muslim extremist groups have used the situation to declare holy war against the West. The result
minds, an impoverished population who sees their leaders as corrupt, simple puppets of the United States. The stage is set for a future confederacy of Arab Muslim states that will bring such pressure against Europe that a revitalized Roman Empire will invade the Middle East. You need to order the booklet offered on today's program. You can understand Bible prophecy. Chapter 2 contains nine fundamental principles of prophecy that can help you see God's plan for humanity's future as revealed in the scripture. We'll give you that toll-free number in just a moment. Why were you born? There's a big difference between grasping your future and simply going on the way you have been. Choice is up to you. Join us next time when we continue to explore what the Bible really says about you and your future. For Good News Radio, I'm Gary Petty. Where is the world headed? Today's headlines are filled with troubling news. War, famine, natural disasters, new and baffling diseases, environmental catastrophes, and governmental scandals. The litany of suffering, tragedies, and bad news is relentless. Where is the world headed? Does Bible prophecy give us any answers? And you can understand Bible prophecy, you'll discover what the Bible says about where the world is headed. Learn the major themes of Bible prophecy and God's overall plan for humanity. Find out why the world is in the condition it's in and what it means for you. For your free copy, call right now, 1-800-966-9232. In our free booklet, You Can Understand Bible Prophecy, you can discover the truth of this surprising message Jesus Christ brought. There is no cost or obligation. 1-800-966-9232. Have you had about all the bad news you can take? Maybe you could use some good news. The good news is a full-color, bi-monthly magazine that brings you the best news you can hear, and always from a biblical perspective. All literature on this program is provided free as an educational service in the public interest by the United Church of God. It is absolutely free, and there is no charge or obligation. Simply call 1-800-966-9232. The magazine is free. The contents are priceless. The number again is 1-800-966-9232. Or visit us on the web at www.ucg.org. You've been listening to the Good News Radio Program, presented by the publishers of the Good News Magazine. We seek the answers that must be found, answers that can only be discovered from the pages of your Bible. To receive your free copy of the literature offered on today's program, please call toll-free 1-800-966-9232. There is absolutely no cost or obligation. 1-800-966-9232. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Gospel program, one inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Good morning to you. Happy TGI Friday, and it's time to everybody wake up. Wake up, everybody. Yeah. 
Listen to The Lighthouse on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6pm Eastern Time. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. All around us are broken homes, broken hearts, broken hopes. But God never intended us to be broken. He didn't just create us, plop us down on planet Earth and say, Happy birthday. Now you can guess your way through life. God as our creator has specific directions for our lives. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. If we live according to his directions, our lives work. We're blessed, and we experience life the way it was meant to be lived. If we ignore or reject his directions, we do so to our own detriment and experience much less than he intended. His directions form a pattern that prevents breakage of our lives to help mend the brokenness already present. Listen to me. Trust in his word, then follow his directions. Your life will work. This is Ann Graham Lott. I'm a champion, realize Shaq's mechanism. That's killing you for rap. That's not your normal PSA. Don't be stupid. Don't drink and drive. If you're going to go out and have a good time, it's fine. But designate a driver to drive home. Let's stop the madness. Don't drink and drive. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Satan's methods. There's nothing new. Answers with Ken Ham, whose ministry is building a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati, Ohio. The Apostle Paul warned us about Satan's ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warned the Christians that Satan would use the same tactics he used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how did he trick Eve? Well, he created doubt about God's word, knowing it would lead to unbelief. Did God really say that? Satan asked Eve. You know, that's the same question many Christians ask today about Genesis. Did God really say six days? Did he really say worldwide flood? Did he really say death came after sin? One of the most effective ways to create doubt about God's word is by teaching evolution in millions of years. And Satan knows that if you can get people to question the book of Genesis, which is foundational to the rest of the Bible, then this doubt will ultimately lead to unbelief regarding the rest of Scripture. We need to accept God's words in Genesis and not let the devil use his old tactics to spread skepticism about the entire Bible. Can we really accept the book of Genesis as true history? Did Noah really build an ark to escape a flood? Solid answers are given in our 95-page pocket guide, and for your copy, all you have to do is call us toll-free and make a donation of any amount. 1-888-89-ANSWERS. Today's the last day to call and request the ARC guide. So call 888-89-ANSWERS or go to our website of answersoffer.org. Listen to The Lighthouse on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. piece of music is played with only two instruments, a right hand and a left hand. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life with hands-only CPR. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands-only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association, and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. 
The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. Have you ever dreamed of being a karate master? Uh, yeah! Well, stop dreaming and start chopping with the karate glove. Hi, my name's Molly, inventor of the karate glove. And I have just one and a half words for you. The Karate Glove chops through anything. Just put it on and instantly chop through wood, concrete, brick walls, trees, small cars. It can even chop through these eight guitars. It chops things. If I can invent a Karate Glove, just imagine what you can do. Visit inventnow.org to get started on your invention. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. It's high on time! Oh. 
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? And are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way. There is no other message. For there is no other way. There is no other message. Oh, come to Him. Come to the Saviour tonight. Come to Him just as you are. Come to Him in your sin. Come to Him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon His mercy and upon His infinite grace. And cast yourself upon His mercy and upon His infinite grace. Cast yourself wholly to Him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord, for how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? For how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? How can I say thanks? 
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Jen, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, how about a slice? When a friend tells you they've been diagnosed with a mental illness, it can be a little awkward. But what's even more awkward is, if you're not there for her, she'll be less likely to recover. Jen, last week I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Girl, I am here for you. Mental illness. What a difference a friend makes. To learn more, go to whatadifference.org. This message is brought to you by the Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Janine Marks, a 12-year-old, was fairly normal. She spent a lot of time online. One day, she met a new friend. The new friend had the same problems at home. They liked the same bands. They worried about the same subjects in school. They promised to keep each other's secrets. They wished they went to the same junior high. The new friend had good news. He said he was going to be in Janine's area one Saturday. He thought it would be amazing if they could just hang out, go to the mall. Janine agreed. The new friend didn't want parents messing this up. Janine showed up alone. So did her new friend, who wasn't in junior high, wasn't nice, and wasn't a 14-year-old boy. Every day, children are sexually solicited online. Help delete online predators. Call 1-800-THE-LOST or visit cybertipline.com to learn how to protect your kids' online life. A message from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and the Ad Council. Where do baby smiles come from? No, it's not gas. They're imitating the monkeys. So says evolution. That's next on today's Creation Moment. And now our Creation Moments host, Ian Taylor. Did you know it's practically impossible to laugh without smiling at the same time? Well, you try it sometime. Oh, you can make laughing sounds without smiling, but you can't laugh for real. Well, if you're anything like me, you just might laugh out loud when you hear what evolutionists are now telling us about why babies smile and laugh. According to evolutionists at Kyoto University, babies smile not because they are amused or because they are trying to communicate with their parents. Babies smile for the same reason that monkeys smile, to facilitate the development of cheek muscles, enabling humans, chimpanzees, and Japanese monkeys to produce smiles, laughs, and grimaces. And they add, spontaneous smiles don't express feelings of pleasure in chimpanzees and Japanese monkeys. Rather, the smiles are more similar to submissive signals and grimaces rather than smiles. According to study author Masaki Tomonaga, we can infer that the origin of smiles goes back at least 30 million years, when old world monkeys and our direct ancestors diverged. Really now, do evolutionists honestly expect us to believe this? There's nothing funny about evolutionary nonsense like this. The reason we smile, even when we're babies, is because God created human beings as emotional creatures capable of expressing an incredibly wide range of feelings. When's the last time you thanked God for such a wonderful gift? Creation Moments exists to glorify God by presenting evidence for the literal truth of the Bible. For more information, visit our website at creationmoments.com and join us again for another Creation Moment, proclaiming evidence of God's truth. Hi, this is Donnie McClickin, and I've got a personal note that I'd really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. 
Blessings are not always financial. But the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, The blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent and noticeable, us being seen as someone who profits in God. The richness of God deals with a soul that is healed, a spirit that is in touch with Jesus. Our lives being rich is having our family whole, as having our friends close, and even our enemies reconciled. Blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, 
on Jam Radio 
A headline on the cover of Newsweek screamed, Why They Hate Us, over the picture of an Arab child with a toy gun. Many people are struggling with the realization that there is great animosity among many Muslims towards Western nations and the United States in particular. News anchors report on Islamic fundamentalism and militant forces that see themselves in a holy war against Britain and the U.S. These are the headlines. In a moment, we're going to look at the important news behind the headlines. Welcome to the Good News Program, presented by the publishers of the Good News Magazine. The good news doesn't try to cover up today's problems. This is a program that dares to look at today's dilemmas and ask the questions that must be asked. It seeks the answers that must be found, answers that can only be discovered from the pages of your Bible. Please join Gary Petty for a discussion of today's good news subject. In AD 610, during the Islamic month of Ramadan, a 50-year-old merchant named Mohammed was finding solace from the outside world in a cave not far from Mecca, what is now Saudi Arabia. This reputedly quiet, affectionate, and kind man had been a caravan master. Now married to a rich widow, his former employer, he had plenty of time for such solitude and reflection. By accounts, he was worried about a moral crisis of reckless materialism hindering the Arabic society. Along with committing blatant idolatry, the poor and disadvantaged were in a serious state of neglect. Mohammed claimed that one night he awoke to a spiritual experience that he later understood was from an angel sent by the one God, or Allah. Mohammed claimed that Allah revealed to him a sacred text known as the Koran. Today, more than a billion people believe in this book as the Word of God and in Mohammed as the unique prophet. After further experiences or visions of this type, Mohammed began preaching and gaining converts in 612. Apparently, he did not think of founding a new religion, but merely of bringing to the revelation of Allah to the Arab world. He preached against the multitude of gods and idols of the time. Mohammed became aware that the Arabs sprang from Ishmael, one of the sons of the biblical patriarch Abraham. We are told that he highly regarded the Old Testament prophets and Jesus of Nazareth, though he claimed that Jews and Christians had corrupted their sacred texts as passed down. Indeed, he saw himself as restoring the Abrahamic religion. The religion Mohammed proclaimed eventually became named Islam, in essence meaning surrender to the will of God. Its adherents became known as Muslims, that is, those practicing the surrender. At first, Mohammed made few converts. After four years of preaching, he had only 70 followers. But he was undaunted, and soon many more were attracted to the new faith. Yet this religion brought drastic social repercussions with it. Because Mohammed's teachings threatened the religion and the commerce of the people of Mecca, they persecuted him and his growing band of believers, at last forcing him in 620 to flee to the Arabian city, later called Medina. Now up to this point, Mohammed had proclaimed a peaceful religion concerned with social justice and providing for the poor, and patience in the face of persecution. Yet, after his flight to Medina, things began to change. Gaining power, he announced that God had ordered Muslims to fight unbelievers. Shortly after his death in 632, the sword of Islam began conquering vast tracts of the known civilized world. This was, as the Muslims understood it, jihad, holy war. Historically, jihad is not itself meant to convert individuals to Islam. Rather, its supporters understand it to gain political control of society and administer it through the principles of Islam. Conversions of individuals were to be a byproduct of Muslim authority taking over and imposing righteous laws. Soon Islamic armies rampaged against the decadent Persian and Byzantine forces controlling the Middle East, quickly defeating them. Arab warriors conquered Jerusalem in 638. 
By the early 1700s, Islam had spread across North Africa. It then pushed east as far as India and north as far as Spain. From there, the Arab raiders attempted to conquer the rest of Europe, but were stopped in 732 at the Battle of Tours in France. Unable to spread further into Europe, Islam continued south and east, carrying its holy war into other parts of Africa, the Middle East, India, and Asia. Now, it's important to realize that Jews and Christians, whose religious traditions Mohammed himself saw as succeeding, were accorded special favor in the conquest. He allowed them to keep their religion as long as they paid a tax. In this respect, the Islamic Empire was more tolerant of Jews and Christians than many times Christian Europe was of Jews and Muslims during its history. Muslims gave those who were not Jews or Christians the simple choice, convert to Islam or death. Now, while Europe languished in the poverty and ignorance of the Middle Ages, the Arabs were developing libraries and learning centers. They preserved the great works of ancient Greece and Rome, transmitting to us the decimal system, logarithms, algebra, and trigonometry. Under their patronage, medical treatment, botany, geography, theology, and other studies advanced. Over the centuries, Islam spread across the Arab world, ultimately becoming one of the world's great religions. Though often violent, expansion has been peaceful at times, as Muslim populations simply expand and overflow into other areas. In its rather tumultuous history, genuine missionary activity has ebbed and flowed, experiencing a sharp increase in the 20th century. As mentioned earlier, Islam has more than one billion adherents. They live in every country. Indeed, although most Arabs are Muslim, no longer are most Muslims Arab. About one-third of Africa is Muslim. Even America has seen peaceful Islamic growth. Time magazine reported that Islam may be America's fastest-growing religion. The Time article goes on to state, quote, the country's seven million Muslims are overwhelmingly middle and professional class. After the terrorist attacks of September 11th, many Muslims have pleaded with Americans to recognize Islam as a peaceful religion. Indeed, President George Bush stood in a mosque before American Muslim leaders and proclaimed, Islam is peace. Henry Kissinger, former Secretary of State, added, the battle is against a radical minority that disagrees with the humane aspects of Islam. However, such statements may seem jarring when we look closely at the terrorist acts of the past few decades the crowds of cheering Palestinians when the World Trade Center was destroyed, and the blood-stained history of this religion, which spread by conquest. After the U.S. embassy bombings in 1998, Osama bin Laden contended in a January 1999 interview that Muslims were merely responding to a legitimate duty to protect their religion against perceived attacks from Jews and Crusaders. He continued, Our holy land is occupied by Israeli and American forces. We have the right to defend 